<clears throat> I haven't read it, but I've I've listened to people who've read it. <laughs> it's more of a meta. I, I've reading. I've analyzed a, a meta analysis performed <laughs> by more educated people than I. I have basically consumed all the information by by way of reading an editorial analysis of the previous source text. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome back to season two of the Such Nerds podcast. This is episode five, and we are continuing our discussion about the mule. This week, we'll be covering chapters 19, 20, and 21. I will be your host tonight, Jason from Connecticut, with my co-hosts, Peter from Long Island, and Dan from Los Angeles. And we're going to get into it shortly, but... First, I'd like to make a few service announcements. You can feel free to reach out to us at any time at our website, suchnerds.com. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcasting website, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Peter, you've been edging into the the fan mail job, and I think uh, this week you are gonna just you're just gonna own it completely, right? You're just gonna bring us all the fan mail. Let's get into this week's mail. And uh, believe it or not, Dan, I think we have your. Uh, is this your first ever fan mail, or am I mistaken in that? No, there was one more about uh, about me uh, disposing of of Russ to take his place on the it was, podcast. It was technically for Russ, but since. Dan yeah. is the new Russ. Exactly. It was it was basically for Dan. Since so. I'm wearing a, a Russ skin suit right now, I qualified to answer that question. Yes, it like puts a skin lotion changer. on its skin. Buffalo Dan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get right to it. Dear such nerds, Dan, what in the dust clouds of space does exogenous mean? Can you please explain your fancy word? I'm not a nerd myself. Only nerd adjacent. Sure. If you have a controlled system, exogenous would be something that's from outside that system, uh, whereas endogenous would be something that's within the system. So you're the exogenous co host that came from outside the system to shock the internal system that was the Such Nerds podcast. Sure. Yeah. I guess that in, it's a, that's one analogy you could probably make use, use of. <laughs> I don't think I, we've hazed Dan enough. I exogenous, <laughs> I exogenous, exogenously removed Russ from the podcast, and he's uh, currently endogenously living in my basement. Hopefully, that that clarifies up for uh, your your system related terms uh, for all of you nerd adjacents at home. Uh, but but thanks for the mail, Peter. You know, I think we you know thank you for that fan mail, and Dan, thank you for your uh, educated response. Um, I think, you know, I'd love to get into the laundry list of fan letters that you have uh, stacked up on your table there, Peter. But I think we're going to have to cut to the chase here and get into the meat of today's podcast. Yeah, we'll save some for next week. 
At least save, yeah, on that. Maybe, maybe some will still I'll, be applicable. I'll save next the week. letter for next week. <laughs> All right. So thanks again for that. And Dan, uh, maybe you've prepared a little bit of a summary for us to get us moving here into the three chapters of this week's episode. Yeah, I do. I have a summary handy. Thanks, Jay. Excellent. Uh, very action-packed three chapters. Um, so we begin uh, with with the section with Beta on Haven in the Bureau of Production in Haven City Hall, assessing the grim mood as the Foundation continues to collapse in the face of the Mule's onslaught. Meanwhile, Randu and Ebling Miss discuss the Mule's possible weaknesses and devise a trip to Trantor for Ms. Beta, Torin, and Magnifico to investigate possible counterattacks. We then meet up with Han Pritchard, revisiting his experiences plotting an assassination of the Mule with various rebel forces. Upon reaching his target, he's surprised to encounter the former warlord of Calgan instead, who has advance notice of his plan. Later, the Foundation voyage with Beta, Torin, Miz, and Magnifico is detected by a ship in Philian airspace and boarded by a familiar face. The crew discusses the possible meaning of this encounter and what it might mean for their trip going forward. Thanks for that, Dan. Some fun stuff happens in these chapters, man. Some fun stuff. Yeah. It was it was a lot to it was a lot to pack it into a short summary. That leaves plenty for us to discuss. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we feel about our, our sexy new rugged beard on one of our primary characters? Thirty days um, of growth. Thirty days of so beard masculine. is a lot of beard. I think that goes past the ruggedness into more like, you know, uh, disheveled mess. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, if it's uh, rumple. It must be it must be Movember in space. It's definitely <laughs> not post revolution. Like Rumpel is it Rumpelstiltskin? The guy who uh, no, like, not slept for hundred years. It's that's it's sleep Rip Van Winkle, but I said Rumpelstiltskin because got that, I was like, that is not even close to the right man. <laughs> You're sleeping on the job, Dan. That is a that is turning straw into gold, I believe. I believe that's yes. a transportation mm. story. Yes. Rather than and it involves the stealing of an infant, which is yeah. also some... super creepy. Yeah. yeah. But no, speaking of grim, um, you know, it, obviously that's a grim story, but it seems pretty grim at the beginning uh, for our friends in the in uh, on Haven, just uh, yeah. kicking off everyone's sort of uh, down in the dumps at the BOP, as they call it. Um, production's down, morale is down, people are crying hysterically various points throughout the day. Um, it doesn't seem pretty ho- very hopeful at all for the Foundation's prospects uh, holding out against the mule. You know, here's where I really felt um, Isomov's experience. Like, I felt like this was something that he actually experienced, like, as part of the wartime effort yeah, back when during World War II. <laughs> I was thinking like, yeah, this probably happened. They were like, you know, one of the comments that was made by Beta was she literally sends like this, I don't know, foppish blonde home because she just like it is uncontrollably crying. And she's like, listen, if she sticks around, all the women all day are just going to cry. It's just going to screw up the whole day (laughs) if we just let this thing cascade. So you're doing your patriotic duty by going home and like, chilling out and not fretting about your husband dying for today and her her protest like but i was already out once this week and she's like you're 
And then you'll be out three days next week if you don't handle this now. So go do yeah. that. Right. That felt very personal to me. Like, mm-hmm. not, with, like not uncharacteristic not, humanity from yeah, not keeping said. calm and also not carrying on. Um, you know, to use the the phrase from the time. Right. Um, yeah, she's like, look, you know, you're no no use to me here. Get out of here, and somebody else will cover for you. Um, but then she goes back, and she's like, look, the you know production is down, mood is down, morale Just is it's... non-existent. I think was one of the comments. <laughs> Well, she was like concerned that it's like a uh, well. She was concerned that it wasn't an isolated event just in the factory. And to be, you know, just to clarify, you said all the women that like what the way they set it up here is that it's basically just women who are working in this factory because the men are out patrolling and in space and stuff like that, right? So we're in a right. very kind of mm-hmm. getting ready for specialized, you know, gender role type situation. But that's the. That's the reason you said all the women are going to cry, not just because you think women are emotionally weak, Peter, right? It's his reading between the lines. I never yeah. said weak. I, his reading I between Isomov's lines. They're in touch, in touch with their feelings. I, I just I just want to be clear because I don't want you to alienate any potential Peterists out there that might be thinking <clears> of, <throat> of joining a religion and get the wrong idea. Jason, maybe you should be not afraid to feel your feelings every once in a while. Okay? I feel my feels. Don't you worry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you sound like you're bottling right now. I'm trying to hold it together <laughs> for the fans. You know, I'm trying to get yeah, through the next good. hour. I appreciate you. So that, yeah. Keeping it together for the war. They effort. don't have to listen to me sobbing on the other end well, of the he, microphone. He, I mean, it, he's, he's from Connecticut, and there is a new haven in Connecticut. There and is. Maybe that's he's, he's afraid. I, yes. Why he's, maybe it's one it's of the uh, other the other traitor planets, um, traitor civilizations in the vicinity. Uh, so he knows that that the, the mule and his men are right on his doorstep yeah. uh, in the Connecticut region, obviously. So you can understand I mean, his Long Island's already fallen. So yeah. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> that, that was a that was a yeah. I, pr- I prefer to think spread. of it as Neo Haven, Dan. Neo Haven. There you Neo go. Neo Haven. Yeah. And that's is that that where's that compared to West Haven? <laughs> it's uh. It's Westeros Haven. Thank you very much. <laughs> So what I was what I was originally going to mention is that she is concerned that this is like not an isolated incident in, in her factory where she is trying to do her patriotic duty. Um, and so she visits like the city hall or something like that to see what's you know, what's the state of affairs like planet wide. And it's it seems like the entire planet is just in this state of despair, like all the factory, like you were saying, all the factory production is down like across all the factories, like this wave of despair has hit the planet. And uh, I think even later on, Randu is having a conversation with Ebling and, you know, Ebling's like, you know, thinking Haven's going to fight it out and they're going to, you know, not give up until the, you know, very last. And Randu's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're just waiting to surrender. Like when the mule gets there. So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting, you know, state of despair. Yeah, is the battle is the battle raging on the two traitor planets at this point? Because that's something that they talk about later in the two chapters. Mm-hmm. Is that it's, there's like wars raging on these other traitor they, planets? They sort of intimate, and, and I imagine it's foreshadowing that, and they mention it throughout the series of chapters that some of the some of the planets, you know, surrender immediately, and some of the planets fight like dogs, basically. 
And they're trying to discern, you know, he, they mentioned the nuclear field suppressor with, with the initial sort of foundation uh, mule mission, whether there's some sort of will suppressor, some sort of other device that will, that the mule is putting into effect to sort of cause this, this broad lack of will uh, for the various fighting planets, because some of them are putting up a fight and other ones just seem to be folding like a, like a deck of cards. So um, that's, that may, it may have something to do with what, a, what the mules uh, tools are. It also may have to do with what the mules weaknesses are as we sort of go forward. But I didn't, I couldn't really parse one from the other, other than it was something being discussed. They, and they draw the line between like the traditional foundation planets versus the trader planets, T-R-A-D-E-R. And the trader planets are the ones that are, you know, tougher and more resilient to the mule and found a way around his nuclear field suppressor and stuff like that. And the ones that were kind of the decadent foundation locations are kind of just collapsed instantly, like in Burr in the reveal. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> like have a good metaphor for the entire foundation just like rolled over and and showed the mule his belly basically um, mm -hmm. so you know it was almost like each of these chapters could have been like its own section right it's like it's yeah. a, then it jumps after this deal of like how you know how much despair there is and well bef before it gets there they you know ms ms and uh ms and randu plot out the idea that the clown has something to do with what's going on and all the all the other worlds are folding so you know pretty soon they're going to be the last to fight and so they better get back to the foundation and start investigating what they might be able to do to try to counteract a mule they're sitting on haven it's basically just you know a house of cards that's that's crumbling around them if they hang out there they're just going to get captured like everybody else they devise some plan to go back to foundation to try to you know regroup over there and then they're going to bring the clown. The clown's not going to go without Beta. And then Miz is kind of the brains of the operation, you know, in terms of the psych, the psychology aspect. So it's like, yeah. you know, a team gathered together, and then uh, Murdoch and Baracus and all those guys are going to go to the foundation to uh, to try yeah. to carve out a love it when a plan comes together kind of situation. But I think it's it's actually Trantor though, isn't it? It's not Terminus. It's not Foundation. They they're talking about going back to the center of the old galactic mm -hmm. empire the empire, yeah. The empire. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i misspoke there. and and the and the reason i mean they, they kind of they nail it to the wall at the very last line of the chapter 19 here um, mm -hmm. it's about you know they're the straw they're grasping for is where is this other foundation right we have to yeah. find it because it's like selden's hope was split between the foundation and the this other foundation right at star's mm -hmm. end and uh they need to get back on the on the path the golden path right <laughs> yeah yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to get back on the path um towards the future mm -hmm. that Silden has imagined right and and then we go into where you know the second chapter where Pritchard's kind of it seems like there's a lot of it is is he's sort of in the in the assassination mode initially and then they kind of flash back to his various experiences from whatever it is the four months from when the uh the Selden reveal was and and where he went and what he did to get to where he is now right 
I basically took that as like, I'd like that you said it was assassination mode, but I thought it was more like survival mode. Like he's mm-hmm. just trying to make it. Yeah. What's he and just trying to I, make it? Or he was like ready to blow himself up, right? He walked to, he walked like, I don't know, 200 miles or something like that. Like, yeah. you know, after, because his car died, his, you know, nuclear yeah, powered car. car died. Yeah. Because <laughs> I guess every, is, all, is, like, all wireless, all electricity is wireless or something like that. Like, well, it's the uh, the field suppressor killed everything, right? It's not a Tesla. It's more of an Oppenheimer, I guess, that he, that he drives nu- nuclear powered <laughs> rather than electric powered. And um, but yeah, that's what I agree with you. It's what it sounds like. You know, he's kind of like going to the wilderness. He's trying to find, you know, some remnants of the resistance. And in addition to growing a luxurious dirt beard. <laughs> He shows up looking like Easy Rider, like at the counterinsurgency headquarters. <laughs> he's like looking around. He's like, wow, this place is pretty nice. I mean, you don't have a lot of furniture. Like you're sitting on milk crates. But I mean, like, you guys are keeping this place up. It's got walls and a roof. Like, <laughs> I just imagine like dudes like painting a room like with no other like available resources like well we might as well make it look nice guys like we've got lots of time on our hands <laughs> yeah but i you know i envision it's more like he's you know i think of like rambo right the you know mm-hmm. the the war's over or like you've lost the war or you know your forces have departed or given up and but your the war's life's... not over for him exactly you're like still in the jungle looking for a cause right and i mm-hmm. feel really like that's like the... that's where pritchard is is like no, the cause is the cause is real. Like I will prevail. And he's just like given abandoning. He has nothing to lose at this point, and he's just mm-hmm. like going for broke. I like I don't think he's worried about survival. He's like trapped in the Pacific Northwest, and he thinks he's still in Vietnam. I don't understand. Well, no, I mean it's, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. You know, because there was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of that after World War II. There's a couple notorious historical instances of people who were lost on various islands throughout the pacific theater japanese yeah, mostly the japanese oh yeah who never yeah. got never got word of the surrender and were basically fighting you know for literally decades after after i think there's one fighting. guy who literally <laughs> they, they would people would show up and he'd fight them obviously the communication is somewhat limited in uh you know out in the wilderness and so uh, i didn't take it from that perspective but it's certainly possible that that's what he was doing you know he's just a man on a mission trying to figure out what's going on well i thought it was interesting that they all had all these code words and stuff like that like mm-hmm. they already had like a counterinsurgency like planned somehow and then like you know he shows up he starts giving off passwords to the fox right. or whatever right. his real name was and uh he's like yeah i i know you had all the passcodes but like so did this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and they're all like they're all with the mule. The mule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? I don't understand. Yeah. And I don't understand how it was him seeing Captain Pritchard that was like, oh, okay, well, that you're cool. Like, somehow seeing him and the passcodes was enough to, like, invite him into the counterinsurgency. But if he just had the codes, that wasn't enough. I don't know. I didn't really get that part. You know, it's kind of like in line with some of the other talk right in up up to now we're hearing more of it right these people are just like capitulating so maybe there's some kind of like visual indicator 
of like you can see the life in their eyes if, in a way or you can see the madness their eyes have just glazed over and they're just walking through life like a zombie or something like that i get this you know sense that there's maybe some distinction between the way people are behaving some kind of like mind control mm-hmm. stuff going on some mm-hmm. kind of like mental conditioning mm-hmm. and at the same time um you know he he directs them to to basically get a job at the the nucleic factory at the uh, nuclear field bearings incorporated uh, because that was I mean he, since he doesn't have a pass the passcodes and a passport needed as a military person he was supposed to report and he didn't report and so inevitably he's on the run and they're gonna find him and he thinks the best way to, to sort of blend in is to you know he's he talks about how he's stopped being a soldier and shed his soldier's garb. And now they, they ask him to further burrow in and kind of just be a, a technical uh, employee of the nuclear bearing company to, uh, you know, to sort of further, you know, hide undercover. Uh, in, as, in, to, in the open, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I like that you called it technical. I got the impression it was like the equivalent of like working at the steel mill. Like, sort of. I mean, he asked like, you know, do you have, you know, experience with nucleics? And he's kind of like, you know, sort of, you know, I, whatever the military got me, and they're like, it's good enough. They're desperate for labor. You know, they'll take anybody. Someone needs to stamp out these <laughs> nuclear license plates. Yeah, bearings, <laughs> ball bearings. Yeah, <laughs> nucleic what, bearings. I'm not yeah, sure what what, uh, what uh, axes are they? You know, loading that need to spin. Like, are these like propeller? Like <laughs> nuclear field bearings. Nuclear powered prop jet prop planes or something like that like or, or, yeah like, <laughs> i don't know i'm not certain if, if nuclear it's, macguffins maybe the bearings for like the you know whatever sort of the gyros or something is launched gyroscope is launching yeah. the, the the neutrinos into each other or i mean it never cl- never clear whether it's nuclear fusion or nuclear fission they don't i don't know yeah. if they really go into that but whether you're splitting atoms or smashing them together Obviously, there's bearings associated with that, you know, yeah. my expertise of nucleic. It, it must be for the bearings on, you know, for the ball joints of the of the control kinematics for the hypernuclear motors that power their mm-hmm. spaceships. It's got to be. Jason, they're pronounced euros, by the way. Euros. Yeah, they're euros. <laughs> exactly. They're nuclear. Bearing, those, are si- those are the ones you no. eat. Those are the ones yeah, you no, eat, like, Peter. You know, have you ever seen the, the, the gyro? rotating on the spit there's obviously some bearings at the bottom yeah. that uh, allow that to rotate and then they drive somehow, themselves they don't even need motors and stuff like beat that. a man who operates a nuclear reactor like homer simpson yeah uh, just, just cut off slices from <laughs> delicious nuclear girl. yeah so anyway <laughs> but that's where he needs to go so he goes there and apparently like you know, it's so fu- it's kind of reminiscent of the past sections where he like he's this convoluted plan and he's working for months in the nuclear factory. And you know, I don't know if they go into what state his beard is at that point or not, but it's he's magnificent going there at night, <laughs> hanging out with nuclear people at the factory. He's like blending in all the while. He's got this, you know, this this plan to blow up uh, with the old nuclear lozenge to blow up the mule back at his at his palace. Like like a cough drop? Like a nuclear cough drop? Sort of. It's under his, hides it under his tongue, you know. He's If he's going to blow himself up and, you know, it doesn't matter the, the side effects. You know, I don't think the singe burns on his tongue are irrelevant. But 
then he gets there and it's like, then they kind of mention it. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to take out the mule. I'm going to take out the whole palace and he does the counter intel and, you know, figures out the, the diversion. Then he gets to the room and it's like, yeah, don't bother. That thing's not going to work anyway. We already know you're going to come. It's very much like, you know, the Selden crisis from a couple couple sections ago where it's like this big elaborate plan and then he gets to the end and it's already sort of taken care of itself and he's sort of we already knew who you were we let you do this you know the mule's gonna you can't you can't possibly get, get the mule this way it's pretty uh, hardcore that he's ready to blow himself up for somebody who like well, <laughs> relatively peacefully transitioned power to the, it's, from it's, the foundation I into a new empire i didn't pick that up but it really throws back to what you're saying about rambo jay where it's like a guy who's just like you know, he's off the deep end and he's following through with, you know, his sort of it's kind of a kamikaze mission at that point. And um, I don't know whether he'd had any blistering by that time. But then he's like, <laughs> the big reveal is that, you know, it's like your point where uh, I, I half thought where it was going to be like the man behind the curtain situation where he goes into the room and the mule is like this little old man who sort of is non-existent or and it turns out he's not even there. It's just. The guy who was the the viceroy and the warlord of Calgan, who's basically now just like essentially the mule's sort of secretary, um, and that's who's there. Yeah, and he's even like, yeah, you know who I was? I was a warlord. Now look at me. This is the guy that everybody thought the mule like cut down with his laser eyes, right? Didn't everybody think that the warlord of Calgan was dead? Jester, right? And that the mule was just like running the show there mm. so yeah i guess so the calgan you know warlord was like alive the whole time and just been co-opted you and know he says oh you can be very cooperating yeah you can be very convincing you know is what he says because mm-hmm. yeah, he's like well I'll, we'll just we'll just convince mule just convince you to his side and you know and uh, Pritchard's like Rambo, like never, I'll never go to the dark side. And then right. uh, he's like, yeah, you will. Yeah. yeah. And I like that they like vetted him, the counterinsurgency. They're, they're, do you have a wife? She's dead. Do you have any children? No. So you're unhostageable or something like right. that. Is yeah. The term. There, yeah, he has, there, nobody has any leverage over this dude. Yeah. They right? can't blackmail him, but, you know, it's neither here nor there because it seems that. It seems that the the mule had his his finger on the whole time. He says, "Look, we've been following you. We've known, you know, about all these people, and you know." This uh, this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from um, God Emperor of Dune, Peter. And mm-hmm. I think I mentioned this before to either you or or Dan when we were talking. You know, when Alito the Second is he's speaking about how, um, you know, he is a predator. Right. He is not a like a milk toast. And the way he maintains that position of supremacy, that alpha position over society is that he embraces the rebels. Right. He welcomes the fighters who are against his purpose because that's how he keeps his claws sharp. Right. He says, I sharpen my claws on the rebels. And I think. In, in a sense, I get a little bit of that from this whole Han Pritcher thing. It's like they let him kind of have his rebellion. Shoot the holster things. They let yeah. him kind of act out against the, the mule. Um, and now he's like 
slated to get converted to one of the mules, you know, top, maybe top mm-hmm. guys or something like that. You know, like the Calgan yeah. warlord is, you know, obviously running the show here on, on Terminus. So, you know, they've been, they've had their eye on Han Pritcher and they've been sharpening mm-hmm. their claws to employ him in their cause. Or they take a black hat hacker and they turn him into a white turn hat hacker hat. for, mm-hmm. you're going to work I, for us now. Yeah. I didn't follow, I didn't follow at the time, but it's very interesting because it casts back to, you know, the, the Bill Rio situation where the empire and the fading days, anybody who is showing initiative and showing a threat, he basically was like, Oh, we got to get rid of that guy because I can't have him. So you're never able to able to iteratively get better because you know, anybody who's doing a decent job or showing some gumption gets wiped out and mm-hmm. counter counterintuitively uh, or conversely, the, the mule is operating the exact opposite way. He's taking everybody who's sort of showing themselves to be in to show initiative and sort of, trying to be uh, a rival and he basically collapsed them and instead of trying to wipe them out he wants to bring them to his side so he's going to have a stronger force as a result yeah but i mean i don't know how much of that is actually true right? know. Like we, we know that he's made converts but are mm-hmm. they converts that are basically like mind broken or are they converts that are actually adding something to the collective right who knows like, I mean, that's what's interesting about it is, you know, it's it's part of, you know, this chapter and the next chapter. There's a line that's presented about here's what's happening. And then at the end, it's kind of like, well, nothing about what you thought was actually the reality of the situation. And the secondary reality is sort of presented that, OK, well, you know, it's the same in the next chapter where something happens and they think, oh, this is because of this. And it turns out that's not actually how it appears. Um, so, the, you know, to your point. How much of all any of this is really on the level? We don't necessarily know, and we don't even know that the viceroy is speaking the truth at this point. Right? Yeah, maybe it's a cover, yeah. like maybe Could it's be. like the you know going back to the book one, the emperor is not actually the emperor; he's a figurehead, and the actual guy in charge was, you know, head of the secret council that was you know interrogating Selden. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a similar situation going on. We don't really he's know. He's actually, it's not the Viceroy, it's it's 4L. And he's just in the room by himself. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting point. You know, the, you, you don't necessarily, you sort of take him at his word. Oh, I used to be the Viceroy. But I, he did say in that chapter that he saw, he's like, you saw me when you were on Calgon. You know, I'm, I'm the Viceroy. And I don't know. I can't recall from that chapter whether he actually ran into the Viceroy. I thought it was just the cops and... And, uh, you know, the mule's underlings, but. Yeah, he just describes him, like it's in the on the last page here, he says, um, after he gets basically bunked, right, because he can't fulfill his mission, he's challenging Calganian warlord, saying mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, like he, you know, the mule needs to go, you know, he what what higher aim does he have, and. You know the the Calgary warlord is basically telling him like you know like he's you know he has a higher aim he's he's in it for a greater cause and he is our path to the the growth that we've been you know waiting for through foundation like he's he's our way into the future and um, so the Calgary warlord continues I understand reason the viceroy that only three of the independent trading worlds yet resist. They will not last much longer. It will be the last of all Foundation forces. You still hold out. Yes. 
yet you won't. A voluntary recruit is the most efficient, but the other kind will do. Unfortunately, the mule is absent. He leads the fight, as always, against the resisting traitors. But he is in continual contact with us. You will not have to wait long. For what? For your conversion. The mule said, the captain frigidly, will find that beyond his ability. So Han, Han Pritcher saying basically like, oh yeah, he's not, he won't be able to convert me. Um, and the, the, the Calgarian warlord confident. says, but he won't. I was not beyond it. You don't recognize me? Come, you were on Calgan. So you've seen me. I wore a monocle. Great. So rad. A fur-lined scarlet robe, a high-crowned hat, and he's like trailing off as uh, the captain stiffens in dismay and says, you were the warlord of Calgan. And he says, Mr. Yes. Peanut. And now... <laughs> <laughs> and now Top I am the loyal game. viceroy, Mister Peanut of the Mule. <laughs> you see, see he is persuasive. And top hat that I received for being part of the Mule's forces. <laughs> he took me from salted to honey roasted. Who else wears a monocle that you know of? <laughs> the oh Monopoly the, guy, the Monopoly man. Yeah, what is it, yeah, Mister Moneybag? Exactly. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Rich Uncle Money Bags. Yes. Is rich, rich Uncle Muley Bags. All right. So that's, it's like its own little Rambo story there in the middle. After yeah. After our, our tale of despair on Haven. Now we, we go back encounter to, we go back an interlude more. in space, right? Mm-hmm. right. We're kind of like here. nowhere, right? Where are we? Yeah. Well, they keep, they the keep doing these hops. You know, they have no charts. They're trying to, like, escape, and they're kind of uh, doing the hyperspace jumps so as not to be followed. And it seems like they kind of get outside the the, the, run the, the blockade, realm of blockade, they right? They run, they do the Kessel run in uh, however many parsecs you can do <laughs> while you're <laughs> jumping hyperspace Run that marathon in 24.2 miles. <laughs> That word doesn't mean what I think you think it means. <laughs> and then they're out, they're outside, and then, um, yeah, they're kind of kicking around the ideas about uh, what the weaknesses are and how they can, how they can possibly, you know, deal with with them. And then all of a sudden, uh, I guess Torin and Beta are fighting about something, having like a pillow fight or something, and then a lovers' quarrel. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like. <laughs> Yep, we're we. There's a man on our tail, and it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, whoever these Philian bureau bureaucrats is what it's presented as, and they basically you know ask for the papers and give them the business, and then it doesn't have any, you know, it doesn't have any papers, and then they demand whatever fee. And they take him and they take Magnifico, <clears throat> and they ask him to basically fix the nucleics or whatever on the ship. And then it smash cut to when they release him. They release both of them. It costs them 273 credits or whatever. And then... 10 million space bucks. 10 million space bucks. Yeah. And then and Pizza the Hut and the rest of the Philians go off on their way. And then... You're delicious. <laughs> eat himself to death. Oh. <laughs> and then Ma- Magnifico the Mog and... Um, <laughs> and uh, Lone Star. Best friend. 
Welcome and back then, to our Melbourne Ta- podcast. Torin Lone Star and Beta, the Druish princess. Um, Lone Star. And, <laughs> and, the, and the Joan Rivers robot, Eblik Miss. They, <laughs> a traveling party, as it were, in, oh, in Spaceballs. Um, and then they start you know, spitballing around, and Magnifico kind of clues in that, oh, hey, I remember that guy. That was the part where I thought was kind of interesting, because it's like, He's like this savant, you know. He he he's he's cl- supposedly clueless, and he can play this 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 visa sonar thing, you know, with tremendous intelligence capability. <clears throat> They're talking about him in this situation. He doesn't know what's going on. Oh, and he oh, I have this idea that was planted in my head. Oh, it was Han Pritchard, a guy I remembered. You know, it seems a little too convenient to me that portion of it, where all of a sudden he says, "Oh, Pritchard's on the ship," and oh, by the way, you know. They could easily, instead of tracking us, they might figure that we were tracking them. And, uh, you know, Pritchard basically being an escapee would wonder what, what we were doing out there. And we would wonder that that what they're doing out there, whether there's some degree of paranoia or something. Um, but but that part struck me as a little bit interesting in terms of, uh, you know, and, and Beta basically takes Magnifico's side like he's right. And, you know, much to initially Torin chagrin, but... It's hard to tell who's who's right and who's wrong in terms of what the meaning of that actual boarding was. I mean, to two me, things. Yeah. Like, I keep thinking Magnifico is super sus, right? Yeah. That dude is not to be trusted. No. And, it's... like, I half expect him to, like, steal Beta away <laughs> like, yeah. from, you know, like, oh, that now she's on my side and she's my <laughs> lover. Or something, you know, nefarious. Because I, you know, was it torn? Yeah, yeah. It's like supposed, supposedly one of our heroes, right? The real well, hero seems unclear. to be Beta. Because if you go back to like what you're pointing out, Jay, with the encyclopedia from a couple times ago, it mentioned that the only thing, not, not much is known about the mule, but pretty much most of it that it is is known is known from you know essentially Beta is what they say. So she is the main character, and everybody else is sort of secondary to her. So. It seems like Torin, you know, is is a piece of the puzzle, but it's sort of a secondary piece compared to Beta. So she's the one to keep an, her eye on. Right. And so whether Magnifico becomes a secondary character because of his relationship with Beta, um, it's unclear. But it seems like Beta is the one that that's going to be the determining factor. Uh, but it may very well be that Torin gets, you know, carved out of the picture. Who knows? Right. We also get some major news about the status of Haven in this chapter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the part I skipped. I guess in the beginning where they have the news broadcast and and uh, yeah, enjoyed all out. the basically the, there's all this propaganda being yeah like North Korean television broadcast um, from the Mule, uh, yeah, the, the Mule's Empire. We need to come up with a name for that thing because it's it's basically like the perverted foundation, right? Is is kind of mm-hmm. what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah. know. MNN. It, it felt very like World War II again to me. Like, oh, yeah, there's that propaganda. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Just like uh, um, Department of Defense films, black and white, talking about supporting the war effort. And today's news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Our boys on the front. It's like something like that. You know, <laughs> that was pretty amazing, Dan. <laughs> 
it, it captured things pretty much perfectly, like all the static that comes through. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it, they even talk about that in the section where it's just like they kind of cut in and cut out and cut in and cut out to the various sections of what he's talking about, you know, that they give I, the... I also have this, like, this image of him, like, like somebody, like, trying to tune, like, a television yeah, receiver, yeah. like, trying exactly. to I, I, get the I got signal that right. Too. Yeah, we're cutting in. Andy Gleason now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, but I mean, you got to imagine in 1950, whatever. Like, that's that's what you did. (laughs) It's not like you just put on Channel Four or whatever. They literally like tuning the ears for the TV, like adjusting the knobs on the radio. It's not like. I mean, when you think about it, it's bizarre to me that they have like nucleics everywhere, like, and no one is dying from radiation poisoning. They still, yeah. they still have like wire antennas, like to pick up their space magic beams, right? Like well, nobody's figured out an ansible to make like perfect reception televisions. Not, not to, not to date myself, but you know, when I, when I was little, my, in my parents' car, like you know, the radio had, it wasn't digital radio, it was all just analog tuning, and they had push button stations, and all the push button station was was like a mechanical, like positioner where you'd push the button and it would bring the dial to the general location of where the station they were trying to tune was and then you'd have to fine tune it with the tuning knob and that's like 1985 technology so you know the idea of having to tune radios and things like that you know even 30 years into the future from when this was it's still you know that before digital signal processing took 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 hold in the 80s and 90s that's kind of what it was you know Dan, do you call people whippersnapper? Or... <laughs> well, now that I'm officially old, yes. <laughs> I shout, Get on my lawn, I'm, I'm monitoring the presence of my lawn. So, you know, I have to kind of probe a little bit here to get where you guys' heads are at. Um, is... I'm probing anything. <laughs> is psychic like probe, Jay? Right, psychically, psychically. Through, Better take me to a French through bistro the, if you want to prove me. <laughs> a brasserie. Brasserie. A brasserie. I went to a brasserie on Thursday not, night. Not a bistro. A I think it's pronounced brassiere. No, it's brasserie. <laughs> I literally went to the brasserie. That's something different. That's yeah. Um, it, would it be bad? Would it be bad for the future of humanity if the mule was on the path, on the golden path. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> because, you know, when what strikes me, and I'll throw this out there and then I'll let you, then I'll let you speak, Peter. Let me finish no. my thought. Why don't so, you marshal your important <laughs> thoughts and let Jay ask the question. I, it takes me some time. The wheels turn slow at my age. So, um, you know, at the end of Pritchard's assassination attempt, we're, we're going back to like the days of like Salver Hardin where things that are potentially deadly actions like blowing yourself up and trying to blow up the, the city hall and so ends in a extremely nonviolent fashion. Like very calmly, this viceroy talks him down and accepts his resistance quietly and says, it's fine. You know, like it'll be okay. We'll just, you know, you'll see it's fine. Nobody's going to get hurt. Like, you'll be all right. It'll be great. Everybody will be on the same side, and we'll all move forward and be happy kind of thing. So that's where, like, I'm, I'm like, wondering maybe the mule is the path. Maybe it was part of the Selden plan, or maybe it's good for the future of the galaxy. 
And I'm and curious that, where you guys' heads comment. are at on that. That's a comment in chapter 20. Basically, what the Viceroy is mocking Pritchard is he's like, you know, we're going to do the, you know, bring back humanity's galactic empire 700 years before Selden mm-hmm. ever thought it possible. Right. Yeah. That, because he never anticipated the mutation that was the mule. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like it's a distinct possibility. It did cross my mind. Right. Like if this guy's just basically taking these planets over like relatively peacefully, why is this a bad thing? Yeah. But then like at the end of, was it chapter? Maybe it is in chapter two, too. Um, he's ramping up nuclear weapons production. Mm-hmm. So like he's, you know, his relatively peaceful means of taking over these planets doesn't don't seem like they're going to continue. And we know that there's fighting on two of the other traitor worlds mm-hmm. somehow is have circumvented whatever the mule strategies are. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm guessing he's just planning on, you know, nuking them back into the Stone Age, essentially. Right. <laughs> I mean, but your your point is a relevant one, because. Yeah, all the things he talks about where he's 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 engaging the the uh he's engaging the people that are that showing initiative he's harnessing their efforts as opposed to the the bad old days of the empire what's going to happen once he you know once he takes over the entire operation you know how how is he some people are are better as revolutionaries than they are as administrators administrator mm-hmm. right right so it's like oh now I'll finally wipe out all the rest of the resistance instead of being like you know, now you've taken over the government, like and like many revolutionary regimes throughout history. Then it's like, well, well I'm just going to enrich my, I'm just going to enrich my people, and then all of a sudden we're going to have another kleptocracy at the at the helm. Right. Um, Not everyone's going to be. Then, then I'll Caesar. institute my important gardening hours that I've been hoping for my the entirety of my revolutionary period, and I'll basically institute all manner of hexagon drawing and paper folding and you know all the all the things that were awesome all the virtues like, of inber right right back where we were with inber in the reign of inber the fourth stop doing those like you know things like smoking yeah. fighting like all those that, that, you know, just magically stop doing those things you know does the mule smoke? That is that is the sixty four dollar question. What sort of if he is he a tobacco uh, avoider avoider you know or is he uh, a person who who partakes in tobacco? Is important. Cigar chain smoking. I think he smokes, a like has a smoke in each like hand, mm-hmm. or he's like at one in each finger. He smokes ten cigarettes at a time. He's highly yeah. evolved. Yeah. Well, so it's I mean it's like you think back to in, in American times. You know the first the first presidential campaign that that involved television was the kennedy nixon campaign in 1960 and basically kennedy won because he was incredibly photogenic and nixon looked was like sweating profusely and looked like the kind of <laughs> that he was and so when they got on tv like they he came kennedy came across tremendously as trustworthy and calm and collected and nixon came across like he was just like a con man and as a result you know that sort of it became apparent to people, oh, look, this person is good and this person is bad. Since nobody sees the mule, you know, it'd be interesting to see sort of what about what about him would be good or bad that, uh, you know, that might convince one person or another that, that, that he'd be We'll, we'll be able player. to much better judge him by his looks. 
for sure. Yes. I mean, and we don't even know any direct action he's taken, right? We don't know. We don't know if he eats chowder. Or yeah, well, the thing is, right? you're able to. Yeah, exactly. He's Mayor Quimby. Is basically who he is. He's, <laughs> I'm really going to enjoy this. <laughs> Talking about fine administrators uh, in the history of government, Mayor Quimby, Quimby is definitely up there. But along the same lines, like, off, like you know, right? F, like FDR, no one knew that he was in a wheelchair. And so he was talking on the radio and it, it wasn't part of his, his circumstance. And so like all you knew is what was transmitted of him. So with the mule, we have that situation where all that anybody knows is sort of like, you know, with the clown talking about how he, he's super strong and he shoots laser out of his eyes. And, you know, there's all this sort of misinformation about who he is and what he means and right. what it's his aims are. Right. It, and who knows how much of it is true and how much of it is false. Um, but I guess you'll find out. Yeah, he's not, but he's not. Someone gonna... tells me he's not actually a terrifying monster from like right under you know? your bed. Right? Yeah, <laughs> but then like... it's like that's what that's what Magnifico says. But it kind of tying it back to what we talked about before. How how much of what Magnifico says actually yeah. has any relevance to None the truth? Of his actual underlings seem to indicate that corro- a corroborating story, right? Like yeah, like you know, Han Pritchard's um, uh, chastisement. It does not involve like a threat of brute force or like he's going to, you know, slice your arm off with his laser eyes if you don't mm-hmm. submit. You know, is that yes. saying that kind of stuff? Like he's a... just saying, oh, it's, it's right. You'll you know, you'll you'll come over. He'll convince you. He'll convince you. Yeah. It's like not like he will seduction. torture you until you submit. He's, you know, he's just he's just a very effective yeah. vacuum salesman. This door-to-door vacuum salesman <laughs> is what the meal is, basically. He's going to take he's you down to the French sarcasm. <laughs> Bra- brasserie, brasserie. He's going to take you and show you his his French brassiere, and it's <laughs> going to be very seductive. And he's going to woo so you. Either to his way, side. like either way, whether like the mule is part of the path or not, he's certainly not going to be able to achieve Selden's plan seven hundred years early. Because right, just we go back to our book one, page one, and the footnote, like the the whole idea is that. It was published in 1020 FE, so it's still foundational era year system. It's 1020, so that's a thousand and twenty years after the, I guess the somewhere in Selden's lifetime, right, was the starting mm-hmm. point of the foundational era. And uh, so, I don't expect. Maybe he will, and maybe it's part of the story, but I don't expect that uh, he'll magically be able to shortcut the Selden plan based on... I mean, maybe he does go, like, full God Emperor of Dune, right? Like, he is this horribly oppressive force, and then after his death, then, like, everything kind of wakes up, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, like, oh, we, we should really be working on this encyclopedia more than we have mm-hmm. been. Maybe, you know? yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe Beta is, is sort of the one to uh, to upset the apple cart and use the... Uh, the the lead of the second analogy in terms of because he refer back to her as being the person who's sort of they know anything about the mule because of it seems like he comes and goes without leaving a wide footprint of people who who can describe him for posterity but aside from that you know it's almost like the the, the chessboard's wide open at this point because Clearly, he's his his when they announced that that Haven's fallen at the end of the chapter, and and clearly the there's only a few holdouts left. 
and they're on their way to 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 Tranner to try to figure it out. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like not to harken back from what I said before. It's kind of like the end of the Empire Strikes Back, where you know things are looking bleak for our heroes, and uh, you know, and and we'll see if they're able to marshal their forces to actually do something to you know to overthrow the impending uh, victory of the mule and his forces throughout the galaxy. Galaxy. <laughs> but we've got Miz. We've got Beta and Torin and Magnifico, the Mog, the Mog, and we'll see what happens when they Magnifico get the Magnifico, the Mog. It's that's how I'm picturing him now that you mentioned it before. Boss, I love that. Foundation, the flamethrower. <laughs> so you know, I think uh, like looking looking forward, I know that there's a big chunk of this section left. But I have a feeling that we're gonna have to like polish it off in the next go. I know it's a lot more reading than we've done in the past week, but I think it's gonna be hard to do. Like there's well, like gonna 60, be. I have it as like sixty pages in mind. Yeah, there's got to be a lot happening here because right, we're supposed to know the mule through Beta, um, and so like she's still got to meet the mule. And they're like going back into the gal into the center of the of the old galactic empire, right? They're revisiting the center of the universe from the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's going to be hard to break this down in a mm-hmm. meaningful way without. You know, I wonder if I wonder flow. if they're I wonder if they're bringing along a load of newspapers to deliver to to Tranter. <laughs> Bring them, can, the bring them up to speed at the latest. Bring them up to speed and all the, the foundation goings on the other side of the galaxy because that was, the last time we were on Tranter was when, um, you know that that emperor was still that around. Interlude happened yeah. where they shot yeah. the cop and peaced out. And there's um, a, there's a lot of talk of death. I'm just looking at the uh, the titles of the of the chapters here, so. It's uh, reading ahead. I'm just reading the titles. There's it's five more chapters, so that's like back to our normal kind of five chapter chunks, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts with a death on Neo Trantor, yeah, then proceeds to the ruins of Trantor, then talks about con- convert or convert. Then there's the death of a psychologist, so it's a little bit foreboding. And everybody our, dies. One of our chain smoke, cigar chain smoking characters, and then yeah, he dies from lung cancer. Yeah, and then the the <laughs> then he dies the, happy with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, and it ends with the end of the search. So they find something. So I think mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, we just got to go for it because I think it's going to be pretty exciting and it's going to be hard to slow down. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot a lot of meat on these three chapters. It's a lot of ends to tie up. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a quite lot a of build, things. and there's like a lot of suspense being, yeah. you know, built. A lot, of, a lot of questions. Might have to take take better notes next week, I guess. <laughs> Keep all these things straight. 
my my system of uh, of highlighting is not working out great for me right now. My system of reading it once and forgetting isn't working. I just have well, I have different colors, and I'm just like, but I've never settled on a system of which color means what. <laughs> I have yellow highlights and blue highlights. With the idea of like, oh, yellow is going to be nucleic things, and blue is going to be relevant yeah. pointed plot information. But I'm just like, oh, I'll highlight yellow today. Oh, I'm gonna highlight blue today. All right, so we've uh, we've covered quite a lot for only a few chapters here, um, but I think we're set up pretty well, and we uh, fortunately start our final five chapters of the book off with a nice little quote from our Encyclopedia Galactica. So looking forward to that next week, and uh, until then, uh, stay well and avoid the, the cold, dark winds of space. I've been your host tonight. Jason from Connecticut, along with Peter and Dan from Los Angeles. And we'll see you next week on the Such Nerds podcast. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night, guys. All right, I'm out of here.